We were on our way to Mexico with about 20 to 25 students in high school. I was driving one vehicle and the pastor of the church was driving another vehicle. We were in the middle of the night. I believe we were in the middle of Oklahoma. As we were in the middle of Oklahoma, we were looking for a small town. We had lined up a little church that we were going to stay in. The pastor that was driving the other van than I swore that he knew the, the directions to this small town, Oklahoma, that he had been there before. So I said, you take the lead. This was before iPhone and GPS. You know, you got the old map out there that you're running. So he takes the lead, and we're driving along. Next thing I know, we're on gravel. I'm thinking, oh, we're from South Dakota, Oklahoma, probably like South Dakota, not that advanced yet, just still got some gravel in the area. So we're on gravel, driving along. Next thing you know, dead end. Road ends here. I'm like, okay, maybe you don't know where you're going. So he says, hey, let's drive back. So we drive back, we get to the T, and he's kind of, he goes, I swear it's this road. I'm like, we drove this road. He's like, no, let's go down this road again. I think there's another turn off this road somewhere. So we drive down the road again, get to the end, turn around, come back. And I'm like, okay, there's no road. Third time, no, I'm serious. There's a road there that we're just, we're just missing it. Slow down a little bit. You look left, I'll look right. Third time, down the road, T in the road, turn around, come back. And finally, I'm like, okay, this is getting a little absurd. We've got high school girls, you know how they can be, getting a little like, where are we at? When are we going to get there? It's hot in here, all that good stuff. And let me tell you, the size of mosquitoes or whatever they are in Oklahoma are unbearable. And you're standing outside looking at a map on the hood. It's not a place you want to be. So there's a farmhouse. And one of the people in the van is like, hey, you should ask for directions. I'm thinking, no, we don't need directions. We've got an old pastor here. We've got a young pastor here. We've got a map. And we've got the Holy Spirit. What more could we need? Let's take this road one more time. One more time, the road. Where did we end up? Right back where we had started. And where do you go? You go to the farmhouse, knock on the farmhouse door, wake the person up, get the instruction. The person says, oh, I've never understood why they didn't put a sign there. That road doesn't go anywhere. A road to nowhere. Have you ever been on a road to nowhere? You thought you were going somewhere, but really it was a road to nowhere. Oftentimes in life, You and I, we find ourselves on a road to nowhere. The danger of these roads to nowhere is that oftentimes you keep traveling the same one over and over again. The human heart has this tendency to follow four different roadways. We follow in these roads specifically. I want to share with you this morning four pathways that oftentimes we travel that are extremely dangerous. Let's look at these four pathways. The first one is this. It's a pathway of religion. What I mean by that is this. We travel a roadway of rules and regulations. Do not touch, do not taste, do this, and you're good with God. It's alive and well in our own hearts. It's alive and well in our culture today. You might look around and say, Pastor, religion is dying in our country. No, 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 no. Religion is not dying in our country. Christianity is dying. There's a big difference. People are just as religious today as they were 30 years ago. They just have different rules, different do not touch, do not taste, and things that you have to do. But religion is alive and well. Activity that you do 
that puts you in good favor with God. All of us have that tendency at different points in our life that our pride and our joy comes from certain things we accomplish. That's religious activity. It's a dangerous road. Why is it a dangerous road? It puts us in a position of pride. Because then we're constantly judging those around us by what they're not doing or by what they're doing. And we elevate ourselves based upon what we're accomplishing at that time. It's a dangerous road also because it gives the perception and the view that all is well. This is the most dangerous piece of being religious. You have the assumption that all is well. Why? Because you have the appearance of religion. And we all know that appearances can be deceiving. And the religious appearance is the most deceiving of all. One thinks they have it, but they really don't have it at all. So the first road that we find ourselves on oftentimes is religion. The second road that we find ourselves on oftentimes is what we're just going to call the road free-for-all. Free-for-all. Very simply, whatever you want goes. Who are you to tell someone else that what they're doing is wrong? Free-for-all is very simply this. Love wins. Love is God. Big difference between God being God and love being God. But in this road that we fall on is love is God. In other words, you just have to love everyone and let everyone love you and there's nothing really wrong with anyone as long as what? They mean it in their heart. So here's how you kind of hear this today, even in religious schools. Oh, Jesus, yes, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But at the same time, how dare you believe that a good person who believes in a different religion would be condemned to hell. So they have nothing against you believing in Jesus, but the moment you say Jesus is required, it all changes. Why? Because Jesus isn't God, love is God. It's a dangerous pathway that we fall into in our own hearts, even ourselves. It shows up this way. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. Because who are you to judge me? So we got the religious pathway, we've got the do-whatever-you-want, whenever-you-want pathway. A third pathway that we have that we fall into is this, me first. Everything I do is for my pleasure. I think I've lived on this pathway quite often, and I'm sure you have as well. Everything you do what? Is for me. You're looking out for your own benefit. You're looking out for your own happiness. And so what do you do? Every decision revolves around that, a me-first mentality. But there's also a fourth road that we travel on that I would contend this morning is probably the biggest road in this room. Let's just be honest right now. This is the road that most of you are traveling on, and it's the road of people-pleasing. Now, this road is exhausting. This road takes gas faster than an Escalade takes gas. The people-pleasing pathway says this, peace above all else and appreciation from everybody else above all else. Peace before all else, and appreciation for me above all else. And so what you're constantly doing is this. Are they going to be happy about this? Are they going to continue to like me if I do this, or say that, or don't do that? We fall into this trap continually. It's one of those pathways that we just live on over and over again. There's four pathways that we live on. Religion, 
do whatever you want, whenever you want, me first, or the people-pleasing pathways. Those are different roads that we travel. This morning, we're beginning to dig into the book of Galatians, which is basically just going to attack those four roads and say, hey, guess what? That's not the road that God wants you traveling on. That's not the design of God at all. And Paul gets really serious right away at the beginning of this letter. He basically says, those other roads, those aren't just kind of bad ideas. Those other roads are leading to literally nowhere for eternity. Look with me here in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a bunch of different churches. These churches have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, but now after a little while, these churches seem to be kind of hearing some different information and are maybe now beginning to turn a little bit from the original message that they heard. And so Paul doesn't waste any time In most letters in the New Testament, there's a little bit longer introduction, kind of a time of thanks. Oh, I'm thankful for you. There's no thanks here. It's right to the point after kind of a to whom it may concern. He jumps right in in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Stop right there. If you have a pen or pencil with you this morning and you got your Bible, underline, circle, deserting him. This is critical to see. The Apostle Paul's not just saying, hey, there's some misinformation going around and you probably don't want to listen to it. He's saying this, no, no, no. This misinformation, it's not just a bad idea. It leads you away from God. Literally deserting God, the one who called these people. So again, just believing the wrong thing is not just a, well, you're okay, you just believe something different. No, this is a, you've left God. You're leaving the presence of God. What are you doing? This is serious. So then he goes on to, he raises the level of seriousness. He says this, you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. (laughs) Basically what he's, he's trying to say in human language here, he's trying to say, hey, you say you're going to a different gospel, but the reality is this, there isn't another gospel. So how can you go to a different one? You know, we live in a time, and they lived in a time that hasn't changed since the beginning of history, this thing called plurality, where there's a bundle of different good ideas, good paths. And some people say they're all equal. Paul is saying here, in the power of the Holy Spirit, hey, guess what? There's only one good news. There's only one pathway. And you think you're turning to kind of a little different idea. You're not just turning to a different idea. You're turning to something that's not really an idea at all. It leads to nothing. So you're deserting God. You're turning away from the one true message. And then he really brings the hammer home. And then I'll stop with the bad news. Verse 8 and verse 9. Look with me at this. He closes these sentences the exact same way. He says, hey, watch out for these messengers who are preaching a different message. Let him be accursed. Watch out for these preachers who are preaching a different message. Verse 9. Let him be accursed. Now, accursed is a nice way of saying the following. Let them be damned for eternity. There's no nice way sugarcoat that over at all. The Apostle Paul is very simply saying they're on a pathway to damnation, which means a pathway to eternal separation from God or to be cut off from God. To be accursed is to be cut off from God. It's not just 
well, they need a little tweaking. No, this is, they're, they've left God. If we fall into one of these paths of religion, if we fall into one of these paths of do whatever we want, whenever we want, if we fall into one of these paths of me first, I'm God, you know what that is? That's deserting God. That's the seriousness of this letter that we're looking at. This isn't just, well, we need you to tweak some ideas. No, we need you to return to the heart of the message because if you lose the heart of the message, you lose God. We don't want to lose God. We lose God. We lose everything. We lose eternity. We lose hope. We lose peace. We lose joy. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to be very serious and frank and saying, hey, this is bad. Do I have your attention? This is bad. How many of you have ever had a spouse or someone that you've kind of gone to and said, hey, does this look okay today? Now, I don't have to do this because I've kind of got this 10th sense of fashion ability. I mean, I'm up to like 12 shirts right now that I'm rotating through. And so, but have you been in that situation where you've gone to someone and you say, hey, how's this look? And kind of the first response is, and then their face is kind of saying, you look horrible, but they're trying to come out with a nice word out of their mouth. Like, oh, that, yeah, wow, yeah, wear that, please. You know, reality, what? They're saying what? Eh, it's probably time to get rid of that shirt. But they don't necessarily want to say that. Some of you husbands have been in this position. Right? What would you rather just be clear? Right? Okay, if this is not wearable, just say, this is not wearable. Okay. The Apostle Paul this morning is being crystal clear. He's not kind of like, eh, not for me, but it might be for you. No, he's saying with crystal clarity, get rid of it. Don't have anything to do with this other message that will take you away from the one who called you. And that's why we're studying Galatians, to return to the heart of the main message. Well, what's the heart of the main message? The heart of the main message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard this word gospel. Hopefully you've heard this word gospel at some point. If you've been in church or maybe just knew, you've heard the word gospel. Well, the word gospel simply means good news. This is critical to understand because the gospel is found throughout all of the Bible. The word gospel means good news. So think of this way to understand it. The gospel, the word gospel is originally maybe used as a person of a newspaper who would walk around with a megaphone and just saying, news here, news here, news here. They've got a proclamation to make. So they're saying, they're coming with the gospel. They're coming with good news. Well, what's the good news? You don't just say, news here, news here, and then everybody gathers around and be like, thanks for coming. What? What's the message? What's the news? Well, this morning I want to dive in just a little bit so we can get a clear understanding what is the gospel. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to look at verses 1 through 6 here. Paul basically just says, hey, this is the gospel for us. Helps us begin to unpack it. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So the gospel, go back up here with me if you would for just a moment. He says, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And then he goes on there, which he promised beforehand. So he's explaining what the gospel is. What's the gospel? The gospel is the story of Jesus Christ who descended from the line of David, came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and is risen from the grave, and is therefore appointed king of the world. In a very simple sense, that's the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God has entered into humanity in the flesh. That's why he says kind of son of David in there. He's emphasizing that God came in the human form. So God comes in the human form, lives the perfect life, dies on the cross, is resurrected from the grave, and is there appointed king of the world. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That news is what? News. Did you hear any to-dos in that description? Did you hear any advice or recommendations in that? No. It's not advice. It's not recommendation. It's not to-do. It's news. It's a declaration. That's why when Jesus went to a town, you'll see that Jesus goes to a town and he says he's proclaiming the gospel. What it means is that Jesus arrived in town and he said, hey, the kingdom is here. He was saying, the king is here. I am the good news. And so then after Jesus left earth, the good news story expanded to include the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because it explains how the kingdom of God comes. So the gospel is just an announcement. It's just saying, hey, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died the death, rose from the grave, and is king of the world. Look back in Galatians chapter 1 with me. We'll look at it a little different angle here. Galatians 1. A lot of times the Apostle Paul will start his letter with what some people call a little gospel nugget. Basically retelling the story in a couple sentences. Look with me in Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. That's just the Apostle Paul reminding them, hey, here's the good news, that Jesus Christ has died on your behalf, delivered you from darkness, and brought you into new life. Again, it's a declaration of what God has done. So the gospel, it's hard to really nail down into one sentence because it can be looked at from a variety of perspectives. On one hand, the gospel is news that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God. On the other hand, we find sentences that the gospel is Jesus freeing us from the realm of Satan. All really saying the same basic thing that Jesus died for our sins, but giving us the full picture of what was accomplished. That we are freed from the realm of Satan, but at the exact same time, we were also satisfying the wrath of God through the death of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a proclamation of the life of Jesus Christ the death of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ultimately affirming that he is king. And so when we talk about the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about this idea that, hey, love is king, and just love one another. That's the law. That's God's law that we love 
one another. Loving one another cannot save us, but the gospel saves us. God coming in the human form in the person of Jesus Christ, dying on our behalf and rising from the grave. And the Apostle Paul is saying to these people in Galatia and to us through the Holy Spirit, hey, 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 be careful. Do not turn from the good news. Do not add to the good news. Do not take away from the good news. This is the message right here. Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, he is king. There's nothing to be added to it. And so through the book of Galatians, we're going to be unpacking. What does this mean for us? How do we respond to the gospel? Right? If the gospel is news, and it's not about what we've done, it's about what God has done, he's going to unpack here in Galatians then what the response is to the gospel of how you and I receive this news message. And so today, though, we've got to ask ourselves this. Am I focused on the gospel? Is my vision saturated with the news that Jesus is king? That Jesus is king. And when your view is saturated with the news that Jesus is king, it frees you from a variety of things. Specifically, it frees you from the people-pleasing pathway. Look with me, if you would, here in Galatians 1, verse 10. The Apostle Paul pinpoints for us something critical. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, the Apostle Paul has basically come to the conviction himself that what? I'm not living for the approval of others. I'm not in the business of somebody saying, hey, you're good in my eyes. Why? Because the moment we do that, we place someone else on the throne. That's, that's really what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, it's a contradiction to be a people pleaser and to be a servant of Christ. Because to be a servant of Christ means what? Christ is your king. But the moment you become a people pleaser, guess who is king? Whichever person you're trying to please. Today, who's king in your life? The people around you or Jesus Christ? And I've learned the hard way many, many times. The people around me make a really bad king. I'm guessing you've learned that as well at different times. That people around us make us a really bad king because their expectations are constantly changing. Not only their expectations constantly changing, but then also their response to your displeasure, to your displeasing them, is not good. This is a key difference between King Jesus and all other kings. There's times when our hearts, our minds, our bodies, we displease King Jesus, where we have gone against the ways of Jesus. But the response of King Jesus is this, mercy, I forgive you, return to me, there's another opportunity to move ahead together. There's not this cut off, there's not this probation. But when we displease people around us, what happens? We're put on probation. And there's that awkwardness that exists sometimes forever. People make really bad kings because they were never created to be king. How do you know if you're a people? 
pleaser. How do you know if you're a people pleaser? You know you're a people pleaser if you've gotten to the point where you've forgotten what you're supposed to do or who you are. Have you ever gotten yourself tangled in a little bit of a lie? Where you kind of got to give a lie to work yourself out of a lie, and then you got to give another lie to work yourself out of that lie, and next thing you know, what do you got? You forgot where you were in the whole cycle. And so now you're kind of hopping over here, hopping over there. The exact same thing happens in people-pleasing. You're pleasing one, and then you're going to please the other, and then this one over here, next thing you know, what happens? You forgot, oh, was, who am I supposed to be right now? What am I supposed to do? So what happens? It just drains you of energy. It just creates you to be someone that no one else wants to be around because you're constantly just changing and moving around. When in reality, one who lives under the approval of God alone can be a person of integrity. It's actually freeing to live as a servant of Christ. Why? Because you have the approval of the one who matters, so you can be the same anywhere and everywhere. You know how freeing that is? To not have to decide, what mask am I going to put on today? You know how freeing it is to walk into any situation and say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm God's. You know how freeing it is to be able to get up in the morning and say, I've got the approval of the one who matters, King Jesus. You want to know the number one way to battle discouragement? Is to have the approval of the Almighty King. That's the best way to battle discouragement because His voice matters more than anyone else. It's weightier. It can't even compare in scale the weightiness of His approval versus others. And how do we have His approval? We have his approval through the good news of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is standing and saying, hey, I'm a servant of Christ, not because of anything Paul had done. He's a servant of Christ because he knows the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for him, that Jesus Christ has rose from the grave, and now Jesus is king, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I trust in Jesus. And we'll see that as we read on here in Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. I don't live no longer trusting in myself, but I walk by faith in the Son of God. And so the Apostle Paul has the approval of God. This morning, you can leave here with the approval of the one who matters. Not me, not anyone else in this room. You can leave with the approval of God. Not because of anything you've done, not because of your lineage or your tradition, but because of the person of Jesus Christ dying in your place on the cross and you saying, he's my Savior, he's my Lord. And this morning, how awesome would it be able to leave here and say, I'm his. I'm not going to live to please people. I'm going to live to bring him glory. There's a big difference. Let's be people who say, I want to glorify God rather than please others. You know the greatest fear of any pastor? I, I assume the greatest fear of any pastor, because it's my greatest fear, is lying at funerals. Lying at funerals. It's the worst feeling in the world. And now you're like, whoa, well, how do you know? Because I've had to do it. 
you feel you're like, well, fix that. Sometimes a lot easier said than done. There's nothing worse than lying at a funeral. A couple weeks ago during the month of June, I got a phone call from the local funeral home and said, hey, I was wondering, we heard you give a eulogy one time here and this family doesn't have a church anywhere and they're wondering if you could come and kind of officiate their service for them. And I said, hey, happy to help. I'll come over, meet with the family, walk through different things. So I went and met with the family and the funeral home director and we were meeting together. So obvious, so quick that there's no certainty of eternity through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, be, listen very carefully what I'm saying. I, I did not judge and say this person's in hell, but there was no certainty of everlasting life through the person and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we met, and they were talking and telling me about the life of their family member and talking about how good of a person and the stuff that they had done. All this, all this stuff was just great, fabulous. And I, and I got to the end, and I just said, hey, I just want to be really clear where I'm coming from today and what will happen during the service in a couple of days. In a couple of days as we gather together, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus that service on just saying, God, I thank you for the gift of life. And so that's what we did. We just said, we're going to celebrate the gift of life because whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, life is a gift. And then the second thing I said to him, I said, I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to say anything about your loved one being in heaven because I don't know. All I'm going to do is I'm going to say this at the service, is that through the person of Jesus Christ, a person can have hope for eternity because Jesus has conquered death. Dead silence. I left, they, the family left, and I, and I talked to the funeral home director, and I said, well, I said, if they want me to come, I said, I'll, I'll be here. And he said, well, I'll be in touch. He called back the next morning. He said, hey, they want you to come. I was like, okay, I'll be there. And I said, I said, do they know what they're getting into? And he said, he said, yeah, the, the aunt came back and said, wow, someone was honest with us. Again, I'm not building myself up here at all. It could have been 40 other pastors that walk into the room and do the exact same thing. The point is this. There's nothing worse than standing by the graveside or the deathbed and knowing that a person has not heard or trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at that point, nothing else matters. Nothing. I don't care how much you got, how much time you had with your family, nothing else matters. Everything at that point is on one thing. Every person wants it. Hope. And there's hope in one place, the person of Jesus Christ, who came and lived the perfect life and died a death to save us from our sins and rose from the grave and became king of the universe. And today the Apostle Paul is saying, come back to the gospel. Return to the good news of Jesus Christ, because in the good news of Jesus Christ, there is freedom. In the good news of Jesus Christ, you no longer live to please people, but you live to glorify God. Return to the gospel. And this morning and the weeks ahead, we want to return to the gospel. We want to be people that ourselves are reminded. But we also want to be people who can go out into the community and articulate the gospel to others. Can you go to somebody's deathbed? Because there's not enough pastors in this city 
to go to every deathbed in this city. There's not enough pastors in this city to go to every funeral home. There's not enough pastors in this city to go to every home and tell them that through Jesus Christ, you can have hope. And it wouldn't be anywhere effective to have pastors doing it all. Not effective at all. But you and I doing it together, going and telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to ask you, are you ready for your funeral? Very personal. Are you ready for me to spend time with your loved ones and bury you? This is not a scare tactic at all. This is reality. A hundred percent death rate last time I checked. It could happen to anyone and every one of us this next week. Are you ready for me to come and spend time with your loved ones? Where your loved ones and I can say together, praise Jesus, they knew the gospel. Let's check our own hearts today and be reminded of the good news so that we can have confidence and go forth and tell the good news to others. Let us pray. Gracious God, right now, God, remind us of our mortality. However weird that is to say to you, God, I ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would remind us of our mortality. At the exact same time, God, I ask now that you would remind us of your promise. And so right now, God, I ask that you would give the supernatural gift of faith, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move upon each of our hearts and you would give each of us the ability to say, I trust in Jesus. God, we thank you for the gift of faith and we ask that you give it now. And we pray that in the weeks ahead, you would center us on the gospel. We pray that in the weeks ahead, you would renew us in the gospel. In the weeks ahead, Lord, you would equip us to go out and to be gospel bearers in our community. So God, we give you all of the praise today for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.